So what in your life this morning doesn't feel like heaven? What are you experiencing currently that feels like anything but heaven? I really appreciate those prophetic words because a lot of it that was being spoke about there is a longing for a difference, is a longing for a transformation in our lives. There's things in our lives like fear or like things that seem unresolved, relationships that are broken, illness, sickness in our families that feel unresolved. And as a result, as Christians, and I would argue as human beings, we have this longing for these things to be fixed. And I would argue that that is a longing for heaven. It's a longing for something that feels right, something that feels like all these things that are not right are put right again. And so this series we're starting is in the Gospel of Mark. We're going through the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And the theme of Mark is this idea of heaven being at hand. It's almost like heaven is there and you can reach out and you can touch heaven. It's in our midst. And the story of the Gospel of Mark is the story of Jesus. And it's the story of Jesus bringing heaven to earth. And as we go through these eight weeks and these eight chapters of Mark, what we'll soon realize is that story is also our story. Because we have that same longing for heaven in our life. We have that same longing for transformation in our hearts and in the people around us and the world around us. So what is in your life right now that doesn't feel like heaven? What do you need Jesus to bring heaven to? What comes to mind when we even think of heaven? Many of us think of heaven as being this moment at which everything is right in the world. I often use the analogy of going away on holiday and you're sitting in a hot tub and you're in the tropics and you're looking at a sunset over a beach and the sun's setting, you've got a beer in hand and you look out and you breathe a deep sigh and you go, oh, this is heaven. Which is not true, is it? It's not heaven at all. All we've really done there is we've created distance between all the stuff that doesn't feel like heaven in our lives and we've gone somewhere else and we've created distance and therefore we've just distanced ourselves from it. In reality, it's not heaven. We know it's not heaven because holidays always come to an end. They have a horrible habit of finishing because they cost too much money. But also for anyone lucky enough to ever have spent more time than they should on holiday, which I've only ever done once, you realise that after a couple of weeks of it, you want to go back home because really holidays holidays aren't heaven because there's something about our lives that requires purpose and requires drive and requires vision that isn't found just in resting and in holiday. And I would argue that all of us, no matter what our faith, whether we believe in Jesus or not, we all have this deep longing in our heart to see heaven come in our lives and come in the lives of those around us. And the truth is that there's plenty of things in our life that don't feel like heaven. We have this yearning, this longing for things to be put right again. And that is what the Gospel of Mark is all about. Mark's claim is this, that in the person of Jesus, heaven and earth are being brought back together again. In fact, the whole narrative of the Bible, you could interpret through this lens of heaven and earth. Not, it's not supposed to be two separate places. And therefore, through the person of Jesus, God's bringing heaven and earth back together again. So let's dive right in. This is how it begins. And we're going to jump around in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to do chapter one this week, but we'll go, there's obviously loads in there. So we'll kind of jump around from bit to bit. But this is right at the beginning. This is verse one of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark begins his account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus by saying this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. 
Now, to appreciate the story of Mark, we need to understand some of the context into which he was writing the gospel of Mark. Because for any good first century Jew, reading that first verse, they will realize that there's something huge happening here. That Mark is about to tell us about something massive, life-changing in the life of the nation of Israel. We know that because of the language that he uses. For a start, he uses this word, beginning, arche, which the Hebrew counterpart of which is in Genesis 1, where it says that in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an exact repeat here in Mark. And in fact, if you read the other Gospels, you realize that Luke, start, not Luke, sorry, um, John starts it in exactly the same way. He says, in the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus, Jesus coming to earth. It is about a recreation that's happening. And the reason this would have been exciting to the people of Israel at the time is because the grand narrative of Scripture is of heaven and earth once being one and the same place. So when they read about the creation of earth in Genesis, they read about this place where heaven and earth were inseparable. They were one and the same place. Adam and Eve got to enjoy the fullness of the presence of God constantly in what they were living and enjoying there at the time. And the story of the Bible as it continues on is of heaven and earth because of humanity's sin being ripped apart. So the intention was they're together and they're being ripped apart. And there's this kind of low point in the book of Genesis, which is about the beginning where it says um, that God saw the world and it was full of violence. It was full of violence and it made his heart break. And so we have heaven and earth together, heaven and earth being torn apart, separated. And then the rest of the Old Testament is of the people of God trying to bring it back together again. And so Mark starts his gospel by saying, this is a new beginning. This is Genesis 1 all over again. And for any Jewish person reading that, they would have been excited. What is he about to tell us? What's about to happen? What's more, he uses the word Messiah there. And so the nation of Israel and the prophets who had spoken 300 years later constantly spoke about this Messiah figure who was going to come and was going to save Israel from persecution, was going to save Israel from oppression. Basically, was going to save Israel from everything that didn't feel like heaven. And so they were longing for this Messiah. And so Mark starts his gospel and says, this is a new beginning, a new creation. Heaven and earth are about to be brought back together again. And the Messiah is here. The king you've all been waiting for. What does this new beginning look like? Well, Jesus announces it in verse 15. So Mark's taking account of what Jesus says. And Jesus says this. This is a key kind of beginning of his gospel narrative. He says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. What does he mean by the time has come? He's basically talking about a complete new beginning, as we just read about in Genesis 1 and in Mark 1. He's saying the time has come. The moment you have been longing for is here. Instantly, they would have been excited about what's happening. So what is it that's coming? What is announced by Jesus? Well, firstly, it's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is synonymous in the Gospels with the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? It's basically everything as it's supposed to be. It's the deep longing of the human heart to have things put right in our lives and in the lives of people around us and in the world in which we live. In a biblical sense, it's essentially the fullness of the presence of God. 
What does he mean when he says it's come near? Well, in the Greek, that word is engizio, which means at hand, which literally means it's when it's come near, you can reach out and you can touch it. It's as close as that. You can reach out, it's at hand. And the Greek word there is actually a verb. And if you look into the literal meaning of the verb, it's to join one thing to another. So can you see what Jesus is saying here in Mark's gospel? Heaven and earth has been separated. The whole of the Old Testament is this story of the people of God trying to bring heaven and earth back together again. Jesus bursts onto the scene. He says, the time has come, the moment you've been waiting for, the Messiah has arrived and here's what I'm doing. I'm bringing them back together again. Heaven and earth once again will be reunited. So what does it look like for heaven and earth to be joined together again. Well, as I said, Mark fits into this greater narrative in the Bible. So here's the end of the Bible. This is Revelation, which is incredibly confusing if you've ever read it. Um, But there's moments of clarity like this one. And this is essentially a picture of what it's like when heaven comes fully on earth. And John, the writer of it, says this. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, his presence is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What does that look like? It looks like this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. That is what heaven looks like on earth. So in Revelation, we have this beautiful imagery of the fullness of the presence of God coming down from heaven and being reunited, reamalgamated with earth. What does it look like? It looks like everything being put right. No more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more mourning. The old order of things has passed away. It's the complete absence of pain. In essence, God is making everything new. Now notice there, it's not that God is replacing everything that's already been created. That's not what the word means. What the word actually means is that God is making everything new. He's regenerating what's already there. Some people like to call it like a new creation. He's recreating the original creation so that it's reunited with heaven again. So just before we jump into the rest of um, the Gospel of Mark, and we'll jump around a bit, that's all a little bit abstract, isn't it? When I read things like that, I do find it slightly abstract. The thing is, we don't share that same history with the nation of Israel, do we? That imagery of Jerusalem being the city of God coming down from heaven to earth isn't necessarily a part of our story. But the problem as we read the Bible is that the constant claim is this is the story of humanity as a whole. It's not just the story of Israel. So how do we come um, towards those foreign metaphors that they're using? How are we able to make this story also our story. If it really is the same and one of the same thing, then how is it that we approach this gospel narrative so that it becomes our story? Well, I think, as I said, we can all relate to this sense that deep down everything is not right with the world. 
There are things in our life that do cause us pain, that do make us cry. We do mourn. We are experiencing tears. We are experiencing life as it is not supposed to be. And as a result, I think we can all identify with this deep longing for something more in our life, where the stuff in our life that is wrong is somehow put Right, and so as a result, I think similar to the story of Israel in the Old Testament, the story in our lives is one of us constantly reaching out for things that we think might be able to put our lives right again. Constantly reaching out to the stuff that we feel might recreate some taste of heaven in our own lives. And the hope is that this will enable us to experience heaven on earth, to experience in things as it's supposed to be. And there's a number of levels in which we do this. There's more of a surface level that we can look at this kind of reaching that I'm talking about. It could be that we're saying, if I could just get that job, if I could just have that career move, if I could just get that pay rise, then I'll experience something of heaven on earth. Things will be all right in my life again. Or it could be, if I could just be in that relationship, if I could just find that one other significant person and I could unite with them, therefore things will start to feel like heaven in my life once more. Or on a deeper level, it could be if I could just find meaning or if I could just find purpose in my life, if I could find the one thing that I am on earth to do, then I will experience heaven in my life once more. It'll feel like we're constantly reaching, we're constantly reaching out for something that will recreate heaven in our lives. And on an even deeper level, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. In fact, they're incredibly good things. But on a deeper level, perhaps some of us here will have spent a good amount of time trying to reach for those sorts of things. And either we've reached for them and we feel like we've achieved them and we've been left wanting as a result or it feels like heaven hasn't fully come in our life or it feels like they're constantly out of reach. It feels like we reach one thing and it's not right. So we're reaching for the next thing and it's not right or we're constantly striving for more in our life that makes it feel like heaven. And that can cause a number of different emotions in us as humans. At best, I think, if we tried and we tried and we tried to recreate heaven in our own lives, we'll start to feel passive. We'll start to feel like it's just not working. Perhaps it's never meant to be. And at worst, I think some of us feel hopeless. We feel numb. We feel like we're not living life in all its fullness. We feel like we don't have purpose. We feel like there's no meaning. And the way that we can connect our story with the story of Israel, with the story of the narrative of the Bible, is if any of us here have ever felt or are feeling any of those emotions, then all of us will be able to identify exactly with what, how Israel were feeling at the time of Mark writing his gospel. Because the truth is, like them, we all need saving. So here's the good news. Heaven is at hand in the person of Jesus. That is the point of this gospel. It's not something that we're reaching for constantly. It's something that's come to us. So let's read about what this looks like. So Jesus just announced the time has come. The Messiah is here. Heaven is at hand. Here's what it looks like. Mark 1 verse 21. This is exactly what happens after he's announced it. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. 
the people were all amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And what we see is as as Jesus is bringing heaven on earth, there's this power encounter that happens between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. It's exactly what we've just spoken about. The kingdom of darkness is one of fear. It's one of being constricted. It's one of being constrained. It feels like we're imprisoned in our own emotions or in all the stuff that's happening around us, which isn't heaven as we know it. And Jesus comes and he's bringing heaven and there's this clash of the two kingdoms. And that's what we're reading about there. So he goes on, he says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went with her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And then final bit of Mark where we have this story of heaven coming to earth, of heaven and earth being reunited. A man with leprosy came to him, begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand. He touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So, Mark's story of Jesus starts with a bang. Jesus announces the arrival of heaven on earth and immediately he shows us what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Those in the temple who had been burdened by the weight of the law, this idea that if you fulfill these commands, then you will experience heaven on earth. The people that just felt like that's a weight, that's a burden, are instantly set free. They're amazed at what Jesus is speaking because they recognize it as a completely new teaching. This feels different. Why does it feel different? Because it doesn't feel like it burdens us. We don't feel the weight of it. It feels totally different to the law. A man who's possessed by an evil spirit is in instantly delivered. He's freed from his pain. He's freed from all that's oppressing him. A woman with a fever is instantly healed. Many people in the town hear about this. They bring to Jesus all who are ill and oppressed by evil, and he heals every single one of them by touching them. And then final story in Mark 1, a man with leprosy who would have been an outcast, who would have been socially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, totally poor, completely void of everything because he would have been set outside the village and had no human contact whatsoever. Comes to Jesus desperate and he reaches out his hand and brings heaven into his life. The unavoidable conclusion of Mark chapter one is that heaven and earth are being brought together in the most dramatic fashion and it's all happening through the person of Jesus. You can almost feel the hope rising in the room as you read about these people hearing the message of Jesus for the first time. Remember, when they're going to the synagogues, they had had 400 years of silence from God. So 400 years ago, there were prophets speaking, promising this Messiah, promising someone who was gonna deliver them from the oppression that they were feeling and experiencing under Roman rule. And they're sitting in the synagogue and Jesus stands up and says, here I am, I am the Messiah, I've come to save you. You can imagine their excitement. You can imagine their excitement as they start to bring their friends and family to Jesus, all those who are sick and demon-possessed, and they start to get released. The joy that that man with leprosy must have felt as Jesus reached out and touched him. Nobody else would have touched him because they would have thought that he was contagious. Jesus does not care. Why? Because he's bringing heaven to earth. 
So here's the question for us this morning. How can this story also become our story? Those things in our life that don't feel like heaven. Those things in our life that it feels like we're being imprisoned. It feels like we're being oppressed by our own fears, by stuff going on in our families, relation, relational difficulty, stuff even going in, on in our own nation and the world. How can this story of Jesus coming in and reuniting heaven and earth again be a part of our story? What do we need to do to make it happen? How can we make this happen? Well, the truthful answer as we read the Gospel of Mark is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can do. The temptation when we talk about this idea of heaven being at hand as though we can reach out and touch it is that we think that as people wanting, longing for heaven in our lives, what we need to do is we need to reach out and we need to grab it. We need to bring it into our life. We need to grasp at it and we need to make it happen. When instead what we read about in the Gospels is of heaven reaching out to us. It's almost always initiated by Jesus. The claim that Mark is making here is that heaven has come in human form. And as many gospel, the other gospel writers write, it's come as close as hands and feet. We don't need to grasp at it. We don't need to make it happen. It's come in search of us. And we see this happening in Mark chapter 1. When he goes into um, the house of Simon's mother-in-law, we um, hear that she's ill. And so he goes up to her. What does he do? He takes her hand and he pulls her up. When the leper approaches him and begs for him to do something, what does he do? He reaches out his hand and he touches him. Heaven isn't something that we grab or reach for. Heaven has come down in the person of Jesus and he is reaching for us. And this makes sense when we reread the very first words of Mark's gospel because there. Mark describes it as good news. All the gospel writers in some sense describe Jesus' life, the gospel, as good news. And news is something that has already happened. It's not something that we need to make happen. So the Greek for good news is euangelon, which I can't say. But it's also where we also get our word evangelist. And it literally means life-changing news that brings joy. Life-changing news that brings joy. And the word would have been significant for the first century Jews reading this text because they used to refer to it to heralds who would come back from battle and announce that a war had been won. So they had these, they called them evangelists, heralds, and they would run from the battlefield once a battle's been won back to the city and they would announce the good news. It was life-changing news that would bring joy. For example, when Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the significant battles that meant that they were released from Persian oppression, they would have sent a herald back to the city with the good news and the herald would have said, good news, we've won the battle, you are no longer slaves, you're freed. And can you imagine how that felt for the city, for the people who had been enslaved by the Persians for all those years? What's this got to do with Jesus? Well, Mark is making the point that Jesus is life-changing news. And see, how this applies to us is that every other world religion contains good advice. 
And the difference between the gospel and the difference between other religions and other narratives and worldviews that say this can bring heaven in your life is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is news that has happened, whereas everything else is just good advice. Think about it with religion. So every other world religion. If you fulfill these commands, if you do these things, then you'll be closer to the presence of God. It's good advice. It's not something that's just happened or something that's being announced, life-changing news that brings joy. It's something that as followers of the religion, they then have to follow through and do. Uh, how many of you, every new year, um, try and instigate some sort of fitness regime in your life? Yeah, I do it every single year. Um, a few years ago, um, I actually downloaded the Davina Fit in Five app. Anyone ever seen that? It's exceptional. And, um, you know, being physically wonderful and fit, I thought I'm going to make this a little bit easier and add weights to Davina. And I didn't have weights in the house, so I used melons from the fruit bowl. And it fell apart after two days because Elia, who was young at the time, kept coming in and stealing my melons. So it didn't happen. But every time you hear good advice about fitness, about changing your life, about making your life a little bit better, having heaven in your life a little bit more, so often when you hear that, it's just advice. And we might be inspired by the people giving it, particularly if they're living it out themselves. And we might be inspired to give it a go ourselves and try and tick the boxes. But does it make us feel the same as those heralds that came back from war and said, good news, the battle, the war is over. It's been won for you. I would say it feels totally different. In a way, it feels more of a burden. It feels like something we have to act on and do. And that is the difference between good, and new, good advice and good news of the gospel. So as we hear the good news about Jesus, we should feel the burden fall off. We should feel and know in our hearts that something has been done for us that means that we're no longer slaves. The gospel is of God bringing heaven to us, not, the basis, not on the basis of what we've done or haven't done, but because of what Jesus has done in history for us. And you see those things that I was talking about at the beginning, those things that we're reaching for in our lives that we're trying to grab hold of so as to make our lives feel a bit more like heaven, so as to make our lives feel better. It might be the career or the relationship or the pay rise or some sense of meaning or happiness. They all contain good advice. You can have good advice on all of those things. Here's how you can succeed in your career. Here's how you can make more money in life. Here's how you can present yourself so that you get in a decent relationship. Here's how you can have happiness in your life. Follow these steps. Here's is how you can live the life that you've always dreamed of. It's all good advice. It all requires us to do something in response to it. And the difference with the gospel and what Mark is saying here is the battle, the war has already been won. I bring you great news and it's life-changing news that brings joy instantly. So what's our response to this life-changing News. Well, I missed off a bit of verse 15 at the beginning where Jesus announces his arrival. He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. And then he outlines the response that we can have to this good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, repentance has had a bit of a bad rep in Christianity and I think in the Western world in general because too often we've just made repentance almost synonymous with moral failure. This idea that we've just, we've failed, like we're moral, morally bankrupt, we've done everything wrong and therefore we need to repent 
and you see people, don't you, or you hear of people screaming, repent, otherwise you're going to die in the fiery pit of hell. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. The word repentance means stop following the direction. Stop following those things that you're grabbing, you're reaching out for, trying to bring heaven in into your own life, and turn around, recognize the good news, and start to follow Jesus instead. It just means physically turning from following that, which we think brings heaven, that the world tells us brings heaven, turning around in the opposite direction, and following Jesus. Repentance is about turning our lives around. And the truth of what Mark is saying here is that as we turn around, we're not faced with more advice. We're not faced with more stuff that we need to do in order to be able to experience heaven. All we're faced with is Jesus holding out his hand, asking us to follow him. Come, follow me. I've done everything that needs to be done. The war is over. This is good news. Do not feel the burden. In fact, I will carry the burden for you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm going to give you fullness of life, the heaven in your life that you've always dreamed with. What do we do? We turn around from the stuff that's failing us every day and we grab the hand of Jesus. just going to read a little bit of Mark that we missed out. There's so much in here that I could talk about, but here's a little bit where Jesus calls his first disciples. And this is where you realize that the people who follow Jesus, his story, Jesus' story starts to become their story. And the more we unpack Mark as we go over the next eight weeks, we realize that we are supposed to also be involved in bringing heaven and earth together again. But this is how he calls his first disciples. It says this, verse 16 of chapter one. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, the thing about these fishermen is that they were failures. So, so often what would happen to a young Jewish man is a young Jewish man would essentially go to a rabbi of the time, a teacher of Judaism, and ask the teacher if they could be one of his disciples, if they could follow the disciples. Now, these, these people here, these fishermen, would have been at an age where that, all their peers, that would have already have happened. So a lot of their peers would have been picked up by a rabbi and would be following a rabbi. These guys had failed. They'd not been accepted by a rabbi, and therefore they went back to their family trade. And here comes Jesus. Jesus. And whereas normally the rabbi would look for the qualified amongst the people to call as as his disciples, in fact, they would have to go to him and beg to be a disciple of the rabbi. Here's Jesus. He sees the fishermen and he says, fishermen, come, follow me, and I'm going to make you fish of the men. And what do they do? They leave everything and they follow Jesus. They leave the security of their trade. They leave the security and the meaning of their family, everything that they'd known before, all the things that they would have been having in their life that would have created security. They turn around on a pinhead and they follow Jesus. And they then become a part of this story of Jesus bringing heaven and earth back together again. And so I believe as we go through the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is saying exactly the same thing to us. 
For some of us, it might be the first time that we've felt or heard the call of Jesus on our lives. Come, follow me. For some of us, we've heard it loads of times before. We've responded to it, but it feels like we've gone back to our old ways. We've gone back to the things we used to have in our lives and we used to grasp for to try and create some level of comfort and heaven in our lives. And Jesus is saying right now, come, follow me again. I'll show you what heaven really looks like. And for some of us, we just need to be reminded again of what it looks like to follow Jesus, that as followers of Jesus, we are also engaged in this story of bringing heaven and earth back together again. So let's stand and we're going to spend some time praying.